welcome to Ubuntu Vista episode 122. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm here with my good friend, Ben. Hi, Ben. Oh, hey. That felt really nice. Did you mean that? Yes. You sure? <laughs> like, it wasn't, yep. you just weren't saying that as like a figure of speech. Like, we're like good friends? Good friends. Uh, how about close friends? You like that? You're not just saying that because... No, you, do you mean that? I'm not saying it because all these people are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I feel wonderful now. I'm great. Good. I'm riding on that sweet, natural high uh, of close friendship. And you got to love it. Uh, and joining us, of course, is my colleague, Theo. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Can't believe my the colleague and friend. Disrespect. Oh, yeah. Hello, I thought I was going to leave you hanging, didn't oh, you? Thank you. Oh. My heart is warmed. It's been, I mean, it's a it's a heartwarming time, isn't it? People are can't people can't walk on uh, Uluru anymore. Ivan oh, Malat's yeah. dead. <laughs> what a time to be alive, except for uh, Ivan. Beautiful. <laughs> what well, a time to be in hell, in uh, <laughs> which is only real for one person, and it's yep. Ivan Malat. Ivan Malat has been stuffed in the big old hell pod. And fired down the hell tube directly into the <laughs> bottom of hell. What do you reckon they're doing to him down there? Oh, just helly things, you know. Do you reckon uh, it's like a Promethean kind of thing where he's just being murdered every day? Like a knife murdered. Knife murdered. Uh, axe murdered. Yep. Uh, Buried in the murdered? state forest. Sure. That sort of thing. Yep. And then every day he busts through the, uh, through the earth, gets back up and does it all again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Exhausting, frankly. <laughs> and speaking of friendship, we are joined by another dear sweet friend of the show. Uh, he's coming back for a repeat appearance. We haven't spoken to him in over a year. Uh, it's our sweet friend, Victor Rodriguez. How you doing, Vic? Oh, thank you. I'm just happy to be here with you guys. You know, uh, you guys, what episode is this? 124, I believe you said? 122, if I'm correct, and I'm not always. You know, <laughs> no guarantee. I, <laughs> I remember when you guys first started, and uh, you know, seeing you guys blast through more than a hundred episodes and uh, keep going strong. I, I, I'm, I can't tell you how happy I am that you guys have made it this far, and how proud I am that you guys continue to be as consistently, <laughs> absolutely hilarious, and and uh, as good as what you do. So it's it's a real pleasure for me to be here, guys. Oh, Seems well, like just the much. other day we did Jeez. our first episode, episode three. Um. <laughs> <laughs> let's not start. Let's not start with all that. Jeez. <laughs> but if you include the bonus episodes, that's over two hundred episodes. Yeah. But you can't count them because they don't have numbers. Oh no! Imagine if they oh, did no. though, oh, or maybe a number and then a letter. <sighs> all right, all of my friendship remarks revoked. Okay, they're all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not uh, friendship ended with everybody on this podcast. We're just uh, people that work in the same digital we work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did we all see that the uh, that the we work founder has been given like 1.7 billion dollars uh-huh. just to fuck off, just to leave? He's been given uh, a golden jetpack, mm-hmm. a golden yep. escape helicopter. Yep. Shot into the a sun. Golden prostate exam. <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah, I, I wonder how many of these financial institutions and and large corporate groups are really run by entire uh, just just swaths of pay pigs at a high level. <laughs> uh, I, I don't understand. <laughs> this is this is high level findom, isn't it? Yep, it's just absolutely. crazy. Yep. I love it. It's great. Investors, they just love to be domed. Oh man, yeah. So oh, what are you going to disrupt? Oh, that sounds great. How much money am I going to lose? <laughs> oh, ooh, baby. <laughs> Ooh, just one more billion, yeah. <laughs> well, they gave they gave Netflix two billion, two billion just the other week. They're like, all right, what are you going to do with this two billion? Not going to just waste it on like shows that nobody watches, are you? Oh, well, go for it. We're gonna we're gonna spend another seventy five million dollars on getting a comedian to make trans jokes or whatever. You know. <laughs> uh, so. The last time Vic was on, we had a bit of a conversation about uh, the the wide world of sports, many kinds of sports, uh, and politics in sports, uh, because Vic writes for BloodyElbow.com. Uh, you have a you have a podcast you're doing at the moment, which I suddenly can't remember the name of. <laughs> yeah, it's so called. So please the, hit me with that. 
It's called the Level Change Podcast. Uh, I'm there with uh, Mookie Alexander, who absolutely loves hating on Florida, which makes him an asset in my eyes. And uh, <laughs> Steffi Haynes, who's been a longtime fixture in uh, online audio for combat sports and probably the hardest working woman I've seen in anything regarding this space. There you go. The Level Change Podcast. So yeah. we always like to get Vic's thoughts on various sports-like issues, but... We also figured we could go back and have a bit of a have a bit of a check in on some of the things that we talked about the last time Vic was on because all of those things have seemingly had um, some sort of weird and or depressing progress. Oh boy! Uh, since then, so one of the people that we did talk about at the time because it was all just sort of popping off at that moment was um, Israel Falau, rugby star and uh, big time hater of all you people who were going to hell with Ivan Malat. Normal man. That's who else is in hell. It's every everybody. It's Ivan Malat and all the people that Israel Folau names every time he posts on social media. Uh, so, yeah, I think when we when we talked to Vic, he had kind of had the initial couple of posts that were that were getting him in hot water. Um, he had he uh, I think he had kind of done the first one which was his big list of like uh, gays trans people uh people who double park uh, <laughs> just it started to get in that personal agreement so the guy who banged into my trolley with his trolley in the supermarket hmm. uh big big sometimes list. he has a point <laughs> well uh so can i can i tell you a, a thing that i saw yesterday who yeah. which will actually send somebody to hell so is that at bunnings Vic, did you know what, what bunnings is i've i've heard of it but i don't know too much about it I mean, it's basically the, I think, the rock-solid foundation that Australian culture is built atop of. It's the- like a Home Depot if it was worshipped by the people around it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. They've got, like, these totem poles out the front that um, <laughs> signal a Bunnings from miles around, so you could kind of, um, I guess, orient yourself if you're lost of course, in if you Australian can't see, surrounds. Uh, if you can't actually see the poles, you can generally just use an app on your phone, which will... Put you in the right yeah, either direction the to pray or the apps. Uh, <laughs> um, either of them. So we, we, we drive into Bunnings, we take a park, and we see this lady come out. Uh, she's got an empty trolley. Um, I think she's taken whatever she, was, she had off of it. Uh, and she proceeds to push that trolley into a handicapped spot, which is right next to an empty trolley bay. Mm. <laughs> Leave it, walk away. And hop in her Mercedes. Mm. Ah, wonderful. Mm. That is absolute going to hell behavior, right? Like yeah. if if Israel Falau put that on his <laughs> on his Facebook post, I'd be like, Yeah, all right, this guy's making some points. Maybe I need to convert, you know? Maybe yeah, I'd be I'd be a little on the fence if she was just old and maybe a little distracted, but jumping in the Mercedes denotes a bit of that sort of entitlement that people hate about the rich. And oh, absolutely. It was, to me, it was just like an absolute encapsulation of that. And I'm going, yeah, oh, okay. I was, I was waiting for that shoe to drop. Once you said Mercedes, oh, no, fuck him. Yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I should do something about this. And then I didn't because conflict terrifies me. Well, it's okay. That's uh, that's going to be on the Instagram post that gets Theo fired from the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he, he did his posts. He got into some hot water about it. He said, hey, guys, I'm never going to do that again. And they said, okay, well, now that you've given us your assurances, um, you can just sign this new contract. You'll note down the bottom here that there's a fresh new clause in there that says, please, please stop telling all the queers that they're going to hell all the time. Uh, as it reflects very poorly on our brand as an inclusive organization. And he said, that thing, love it. I've seen it. I've read it. I've read it. I really like what I'm seeing here. Uh, let me just sign on this dotted line and uh, put down the pen, immediately pick up my phone for some reason, uh, and start crafting some new posts for online. Uh, so he posted through it, was straight back on his bullshit. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. He was the Oprah of people going to hell. <laughs> Look under your seat. You're going to hell. Uh, there was nothing under the seat either. Just telling people they're going to hell. Uh, and then they said, it's probably time for you to get fired. Due to the very specific things we had you sign and you agreed to for your new like $20 million contract or whatever it was. And he said, hey, this is all news and a shock to me. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm I'm going to sue you guys. 
Uh, so he did a, a sweet lawsuit for, for wrongful dismissal, wrongful termination of his contract, and being unfairly victimized by all the heathens of the world. Uh, so since then, it's basically turned into like a big new religious freedom thing for our cool conservative government. Uh, because I guess all of the rights that that religion currently has enshrined in our laws to fire people for being gay and not being sufficiently Christian and all that sort of stuff aren't enough. Uh, we've we've already got a lot of that stuff, right, Ben? Oh, we sure do. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, they want to find, well, as we talked about in a previous episode, they want broad sweeping remits for being able to fire people uh, for fucking wrong. In a yeah, way that doesn't that. align with God's wishes. Oh, okay. I thought, you, before you added the bit on the end, I thought I was in real trouble. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, you sucked who well, from the back? Uh, yeah, Fire. <laughs> Unless you're doing... What is uh, that angle? <laughs> as far as, as I understand it, you should be fired. I think their problem was anyone doing anything other than missionary. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Uh, yeah, hard ban on the eating of asses, hard ban on sucking toes. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, now let's, let's not, <laughs> let's, let's, let's have a little bit of, we, I think we need to tackle these things on a case by case basis, should we not? Yeah, and I'm going to need to see footage of each one. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Which I will gladly provide. <laughs> yeah, I want, want a uh, government, like a government financed office of review, you know? <laughs> Uh, it'll be like uh, it'll be like the the office that they use for like rating movies, where the movie just goes in one side and some pervs sit in a dark room uh, and watch it, and then they just come out the other side. They come out from the from the beaded curtain, all sweaty, and they're like, "No, we can't show that one in theaters." <laughs> Ooh. But uh, but yeah, so currently there's already plenty of laws that say uh, if you are a religious organization. If you are a Catholic school or whatever, and you find out that, like, the, the guy who comes along once a week and trims the hedges out the front is gay, you can just fire him, and he has no recourse or anything like that. Uh, so, that's cool that we've already got heaps of that. But, yeah, the, the government has been angling for a while for, like, a new religious protection law, new religious discrimination law. And uh, in classical conservative fashion, this is one of these things where they say, we need protections for people to be able to say the things that they need to say as part of their religion. And then you go, like what? Yeah, it's that classic question. <laughs> Tell right? us. Like, what is it that you can't say now? Say it. Say yep. the F word, coward. Yep. What are the things exactly that you desperately wish you could say and nobody is allowing you to say? And weirdly, there's never really an answer for that, even from politicians who could say it. Uh, under what's the old the old parliamentary privilege? Yeah, yeah, parliamentary privilege. Uh, they could get up there and they could drop all their Fs and their Cs, <laughs> and they the don't, which Bs. really just reveals them for the cowards that they are. True. Yeah, a real brave politician in their maiden speech. Yep, would get up there and just say every slur they can think of off the top <laughs> of their head. Uh, commitment to principles. So uh, this from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, that there would be new protections for Falau-like cases in draft religious discrimination bill. Large businesses would not be able to restrict their employees from expressing their religious beliefs outside of work unless the business can prove that this will cause, quote, unjustifiable financial hardship under the federal government's proposed new religious discrimination laws. Uh, Attorney General Christian Porter said that under the draft bill, Rugby Australia would have to prove its social media rules and subsequent sacking of Israel Falau, where in order to protect its brand noting that Mr. Falau would argue that uh, the condition that he could not speak about his religious beliefs outside of work was unreasonable. Um, I feel like even if they had those laws, this would shake out exactly the same. It's hard to see what would change. Yeah, because the entire reason that they said, hey, this shit doesn't fly is because you're, you're being like paid specially as an ambassador for our brand. Uh, which also has a bunch of stuff about not very openly discriminating against people. Hmm. I, if you if you have in any situation where you have what I generally and what's known in some uh, circles like professional wrestling as a good boy clause, right? If you have a, a very specific set of terms that 
forbid you to do certain things. It'll have, say, financial or uh, other stipulations and, and consequences. I'm not sure how this bill exactly, I mean, would, would that void that sort of contract? Would that make that illegal? I'm curious as to how that would go. But the funny thing that I'm always, like, you're talking about this and describing, I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, that makes sense. Does this also work when it comes to defending, say, I don't know, a Muslim? I'm not quite sure that they would be very enthusiastic to defend that. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's the general one. You can like find it pretty hard to believe that um, if a high-profile Muslim athlete was up there saying, "Hey, and also uh, all women should do this," that yeah, the the idea that the government that is fronted primarily by uh, middle-aged white uh, evangelical Christian dudes would be lining up to defend them. Uh, but hey, who knows? You know. But again, like we said, it seems as though the the primary thing there would be saying, hey, uh, does this have an impact on our brand? And if you have an organization, like I would imagine a lot of sports organizations and a lot of just companies in general would have their, their statements of their values as a company. Hmm. And a lot of the time that has things in it about community and inclusiveness and, you know, not discriminating and all that sort of stuff mm. uh and yeah i just i don't really see how this would change anything so I'm, I'm not sure what they would consider sufficient evidence either right because let's say you know if uh let's say israel were still in the league and he would have said the things that he said and someone threatens a boycott of the games and it, beca- it begins to uh you know gain some sort of notoriety would that be considered evidence or do they need to look at financials and the cold hard numbers specifically you know what i mean you might have uh, less attendance that could be attributed to anything. So I, I don't know how they'd even. It's it's a really. Um, I mean, they're clearly they're showing their hand. We know what the agenda is, and we know why they're doing this. But man, that's it's not a good look. Yeah, like you're saying, how how do you actually quantify this has had a, a financial impact on us? Yeah. Um, beyond very clearly organized boycotts. So uh, we'll we'll check in on Israel as as his whole shit continues to go down but for the moment it seems like he is stuck uh, being fired being rich and raising lots of money from GoFundMe from charitable rubes uh, for his legal defense so uh, yeah another person who was very directly involved in you know uh, different kinds of boycotts and all that sort of stuff was uh, Colin Kaepernick was somebody else that we spoke about uh particularly in the context i suppose of when he when he started his protest of kneeling during the national anthem at nfl games uh there was a whole lot of people getting extremely mad and saying it was disrespectful to the troops and also that he should just shut up and play football and be grateful which is a thing that the free speech loving uh right wing of america really love to invoke uh, anytime they're slightly upset about something is the idea that you should just shut your mouth and go along with it, which, as we all know, is is very, very much in line with their deep and unabiding love of the First Amendment. <laughs> uh, makes me think of the old uh, Dixie Chicks, you know, making one comment about George W. Bush being a shithead. And then that turning into, uh, you know, all the radio stations across Texas and the South and everything, like burning their records and having days where you come down and throw their stuff into a trash can and everything. Uh, I don't know if anybody's seen the documentary Shut Up and Sing. No, have you seen that one? No, I have not. No. It's uh, It's a really good documentary about the Dixie Chicks across that period. So, like, they they were doing a doco of them touring. And during the tour, when they're in London, uh, Natalie... Natalie Gaines, Maines, I believe, or Nair Maines, Gaines, yes. Uh, made, made that comment, and it just completely blew up their careers, you know. Um, and it's interesting, because I, I feel like the Dixie Chicks are one of the only people that I see come up in that conversation of, like, who was somebody who got cancelled, who, who, like, got actually cancelled and didn't deserve it? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, the other one um, is uh, Sinead O'Connor, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Who did yeah. that performance in the uh, early... Was it on Saturday Night Live? Yeah, it, it was. was. Uh, where I, she I, tore yeah. up the photo of the Pope. Um, and that was in protest of child abuse in the Catholic, uh, in the Catholic Church. And uh, wouldn't you know, just so weirdly that history has also absolved her 
mm-hmm. uh, of of this. But yeah, at the time, completely cancelled. That's the like. Um, people went wild for this stuff, and like the same thing with the Dixie Chicks. And you know, I wonder maybe if we just like look forwards, perhaps in the same fashion, uh, whether exactly the same thing will be shown for Colin Kaepernick. Of course, the the problem is now that you don't even have to look forwards, right? You just have to check the news in America and on any given day and go, oh look. Uh, cops just shot a black woman through a window for the crime of standing near a window while being black, right? Like, the, it's like the timelines are shortening because of social media and our awareness to these things, but our reactions to them don't. Um, we just get better at ignoring all this shit. Not not we, but, you know, in, in, the, in, in the broad kind of sense of the public. Oh, yeah, just collectively, it seems like. Yeah, the, the the more frequently it happens and the shorter the gaps are between being shown this stuff, the more, I, I don't know if it's just the more powerless people feel Yeah, that anything I, is actually going to happen. I mean, it might be that, but, you know, we have a very strange way of remembering people. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember the name of the sports writer who said it, but, you know, people talked about Muhammad Ali after he died and they looked at everything that he did for sports and for civil rights and standing up for himself. But you have to also remember as, as fondly as he's remembered now by so many people, there's a lot of people now that are writing all these biographies about him that would have despised him when he was alive. Hmm. You know, and, and he said the line that stuck with me was America didn't love Ali until he literally lost his voice. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, even Martin Luther King, like, why don't we have more people like him? Well, you remember when he got shot? Do you remember why that was? When the FBI murked. The FBI, exactly. (laughs) They they no-scoped him from another rooftop. Like, come on, man. You know, let's, we don't, it's, it's, uh, I I think that also in some way that uh, a lot of the, and I don't know how far, how much actual good this does, but it, it seems to me that we're a lot good at sussing out a lot of bullshit. And I think that we've noticed that even when a lot of really evil people die as of late, you'll have some people would be like, oh, what a hero this person was. Be like, nope, that guy was an asshole and I'm glad he's dead. You know, like John McCain, for example, <laughs> there was a yeah. lot of a lot of dancing on that man's grave. Man, I'm well, going to go go online and see whether I can kind of get a uh, don't speak ill of the dead thing going with Ivan Malat. <laughs> when when did Say I what you will. was it like today? What's going on? This morning. Oh, yeah. yeah. He uh, carped it. Malat. He shat his pants and died because he mm-hmm. had cancer. Yep. Shat his <laughs> final pants. <laughs> it's one last pair of pants. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but he has like one, I think it's like his nephew or something who vociferously defends him, who absolutely believes Ivan Milat is 100% innocent. They, they had a back-and-forth like letter campaign for a very long time. Um, hang on. I did have some letters from that, but I kind of canned them because it was too grim. <laughs> <laughs> we can find some laughs at Ivan Milat's death. I'm laughing right now. <laughs> Ivan Milat says of the economy, uh, even in here we notice the price of things going up. Fucking rice used to be $2.10 for a kilo. Now it is $4.08 a kilo. I don't buy the stuff a lot, but a lot of lads do. And we are restricted to two kilos of buy-up. Wow. Really makes you think. Wow. Maybe he should be the treasurer, you know? Oh, wait. No, he can't. He's dead. All right. You know, I, I, there's there's one day where I, I want to make sure that I don't lose my cell phone reception and that I have access to the internet at all times. It's when Henry Kissinger finally kicks the ball. Oh, oh my God. God. What a beautiful Man. day that will be. Dude, Twitter is going to be so hype. I love it. Oh, man. But, uh, but like you're saying, Theo, I mean, the interesting thing with Colin Kaepernick is that you can look at this stuff like as it's happening. And... You could see which people during, you know, the sort of initial initial couple of years of his of his campaign of protest just kind of went, oh, I'm not getting involved in this. And then you could see the other people who kind of backed him up, like, um, you know, people like uh, Rihanna who went, nope, I'm not playing the Super Bowl halftime show. Fuck those guys, uh, you know, in solidarity with him. But there's also other people who are, who are big, uh, you know, social justice warriors like uh, Jay-Z. And we can kind of see what's happened with him this year in this uh, this report from, I think it was, the BBC. 
Uh, Kaepernick began protesting in 2016 by sitting or kneeling when the national anthem was played before kickoff. Donald Trump, who has benefited from political donations made by at least nine current or former NFL owners, derided the actions as disrespecting our flag and country. That's actually a legitimately great way to begin the article, by the way. How often do you see them lead with the conflict? Yep. Here is here is directly where he's getting money from out of it. Be- before the quote. Yeah. Uh, the former quarterback 31 has not played since he became a free agent in 2017. Kaepernick and Reed, who now plays for the Carolina Panthers, reached a confidential settlement with the NFL in February after filing complaints that teams colluded to deny them jobs because of their activism. Uh, like, I don't know about anybody else, but to me, confidential settlement is 100% of the time uh, admitting that you're guilty of doing a thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jay-Z, the first billionaire rapper, according to Forbes, has a history of supporting social justice causes. He told reporters he had spoken to Kaepernick about his new deal with the NFL, but the conversation would remain private. So... Uh, basically, Jay-Z has announced a, a deal earlier this year with the NFL and with um, Roger Goodell, uh, the NFL commissioner, in which they would he would have like you know some kind of exclusive deal to organize halftime shows and entertainment and all that sort of stuff. Um, and in exchange, uh, th- they will have some kind of like social activism element to it. Hmm. Yeah, it says the league will work with Rock Nation, which is um, I think I think like that's Jay Z's hmm. sort of touring company. Is that that's, correct? Is yeah, that's he. It's his uh, basically his production company and the uh, record label. Uh, the league will work with Rock Nation on its entertainment performances, such as the Super Bowl halftime show, but also to quote strengthen community through football and music, and the NFL's Inspire Change initiative. Inspire Change was created after discussions with players who protested the National Anthem, a movement sparked by Colin Kaepernick. Jay-Z says, quote, This partnership is an opportunity to strengthen the fabric of communities across America. I love to strengthen the fabric of communities across America by receiving a big bag of money from the NFL. Uh, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says he was looking forward to, quote, making a difference and driving social change. According to Mark Garagos, if I'm saying that dude's name right, I've seen it written many times, never heard it said aloud. Uh, both the NFL and Jay-Z did not contact Colin Kaepernick during discussions about their deal. Uh, the deal was already done prior to any conversation that Colin had with Jay-Z, and he certainly didn't have any conversations with the NFL, the lawyer said. But Jay-Z says, quote, we've moved past kneeling, <sighs> and I think it's time to go into actionable items. And that this partnership can, quote, inspire and educate. So, a cynical read on this is that Jay-Z is monetizing the rot. Yeah. Right? That, the, he's, that he's catching it on the way, on the way down. He's, he's uh, making money on it. Right? Is that what's going on here? Uh, yeah, I think it's basically... There, there was a whole sort of... Um, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, there was a whole period uh, in between these two things where <clears throat> Jay-Z was, was saying, hey, you know, I'm going to talk to the NFL and we're going we're gonna to sort this shit out. Mm-hmm. And he also, from this piece, um, he called Kaepernick an iconic figure on CNN last year and rapped in the Carter's 2018 hit Ape Shit, quote, I said no to the, so- to the Super Bowl. You need me. I don't need you. Uh, yet strangely now, so, so he told Colin Kaepernick to just hold on and he's going to sort some shit out. And what he actually did was go and make a deal with Roger Goodell to have some sort of exclusive touring rights. And in exchange, uh, the NFL gets to point to Jay-Z and say, see, uh, we're, we're supported by black people. I guess <laughs> the only way that this could like push past my cynicism is if the the show that he did in between whatever this break is in the um is just like uh, footage of Ferguson riots um statistics such as uh, you know American forty percent of American policemen uh, admit to domestic violence um maybe like some graphs as to how much. Uh, healthcare, all of those like F-35s flying over in the uh, halftime show could purchase, you know, Americans, that sort of thing, right? If it's not that, then 
I don't think it can be uh, looked upon in any kind of favourable sense. I say let Spike Lee direct the halftime show. Oh, <laughs> please. <laughs> Um, even even he's though he's doing initiatives with the NYPD and uh, he, he's oh, catching a lot of heat for that too. Oh, yeah, I mean he got a lot I of flack for that. he did a lot he got a lot of heat for doing Black Klansman, you know, and how that showed the uh, the authorities in such a positive light. And yeah, so now now he's also doing that. It, it's uh, very hard to tell where he's going with this. But you know, Jay Z always said he was first and foremost a capitalist, and you have to remember that this isn't new because. When the Brooklyn Nets were being moved from New Jersey to Brooklyn, you know, he was at, uh, he was a minority owner and he was talking about how this is going to bring jobs and all this other stuff. And they brought the team, they built the arena and one of the major partners after they got the permits to build a stadium. Well, see, in the legislation that allowed for the stadium to be built, there was also the provision for luxury condos to go up in that area as well. So he sold off all of his ownership bits. And he ended up uh, developing, and of course, that's the more lucrative bit. And you know, Jay Z facilitated that. So, um, yeah, it's it's very weird, and it's it's things a little more. There was a documentary, I think it was um, it was earlier this year called "Shut Up and Dribble." Uh, it was precisely about the NBA and how activism has always been a part of the NBA. You know, when people were telling LeBron James to stop talking so much about social matters. And uh, Jay-Z featured in that documentary. He was there and he was talking about inequality <laughs> and how, you know, racism is a terrible thing and we need to stand up to these things and do something about it and work as a society. But then he goes ahead and does this. So uh, you tell me. I don't, I don't even know what to make of that. Well, I mean, uh, I think Jay-Z is probably just a, a perfect encapsulation as well of, of the whole neoliberal adoption of... Yeah. You know, social justice as a concept. Hmm. And like we, you know, we've we've got local examples here like um, I can't remember which bank it is, but during the during the annual uh, Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras, they they it's a bank, a local bank that does like they, they put like rainbow stuff on all their like um, like automatic <laughs> teller machines <laughs> And they they call them like gay TMs and stuff. Oh, and that's yeah, catchy though. Yeah. I like yep. it. Yeah, and it's just this kind of shit where it's like, yeah, for for one week during a year, when you know lots of people are looking at this, all of a sudden you're interested in being like corporate sponsors and doing shit about it, and then. Yep. The, the week is up and you peel all that stuff off and you go back to not giving a fuck about people. It's just, but you see it like repeated over and over again where there's a, a, a social cause that kind of overflows into um, nastiness or violence or that sort of stuff and the corporations will pick it up and they say, hey, no, no, we, we hear you and we'll take it from here and they'll saw all the edges off and they'll package it up and then they'll resell it to you as, as a gay ATM or, or whatever um, instead of actual structural change, right? Because, and in doing so, it serves to actually um, almost snuff out the cause, right? It takes all this oxygen away from from the cause, mm. and then people kind of go, "No, no, no! We're making, we're doing good things. We're making, we're making changes." Uh, and then nothing happens, and we look back in five years and go, "Oh, fuck." Yep, pretty much. Uh, especially, yeah, like you're saying, when you've also got people who are like the most visible people involved in this. So in this case, we're you know we're talking about Jay Z, um, who is definitely someone where he can just come out and say anything that he wants to a reporter, and that will get published. Um, and Roger Goodell, the the NFL commissioner. So anything these two guys say is going to get reported more widely than anything that any individual could could try to spearhead themselves. Um, but as it says here in this piece, uh, Jay-Z's attitude appears to have softened. Sitting next to the NFL commissioner at a press conference in New York last month, Jay-Z said, I think we've moved past kneeling. I think it's time to go on actionable items. We get stuck on Colin ha not having a job. You know what I'm saying? And this is more than that. Goodell framed the, the deal as a way for the league to improve its outreach to minority communities. Not Again, I'm not really sure where this is happening along the way more than two-thirds of nfl players are black but none of the 32 teams have black majority owners news of the deal with rock nation has led to speculation that jay-z who once had a stake in the brooklyn nets basketball team is interested in becoming the nfl's first black principal team owner 
uh, quote, we don't want people to come in and necessarily agree with us. We want people to come in and tell us what we can do better. I think that's a core element of our relationship between the two organizations and with Jay and I personally, Goodell told the New York Times. Oh, it's very, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very depressing. It's very depressing, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to see how we're going to strengthen the fabric of communities across America and inspire and educate by like having Maroon 5 play the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, but at no point does he mention why Kaepernick doesn't have a job. But did, did he care to address that? Was he was he going to get in Roger's ear and say, "Hey, maybe you should"? I mean, not that it means much. No one really looks at him as a figure of authority. Everyone knows and understands quite uh, correctly that Goodell is there to do the bidding of the owners of the uh, of the teams and nothing more. He's a servant, not someone who is regulating above that that level. So. You know, it's just another wrinkle there, how just how ugly this whole deal is. And it really looks bad when you're the one getting a big bag of money for it. Yeah. And like at the end of the day, as I saw pointed out somewhere else, um, at the end of the day, Jay-Z has taken the side of the people who, you know, worked together and colluded to just silence Colin Kaepernick's protest. That's uh, you can't really make it any more black and white than that. It was a very concerted, deliberate effort by those owners to get together and say, all right, nobody's hiring this guy. And after a while, like he won't be able to do his protests on the field anymore. People will stop talking about it and we can all move on. And Jay-Z would rather make a, make a deal with that dude than support anybody else. Which, as we said, I don't know why anybody would expect Jay-Z to do anything different. But it is just a perfect encapsulation of how causes like this can wind up being co-opted and monetized and smoothed out and silenced. Yeah, and he's not above monetizing anything. You know, you mentioned at the beginning that he was, you know, one of the uh, billionaire rappers. Let's not lose sight of the fact that he didn't make that billion by rapping. It was his other business ventures. And you kind of start asking yourself after a point, okay, how much money do you need, really? Mm. You know, why, why wouldn't you stand with your principles in this situation? Because he's got enough, but I don't know, maybe it's just not enough for him. And I understand there's that competitive drive. I mean, we, you guys have addressed this very, very well, much better than I could before in the previous episodes. This, this, this fucking greed. Good God, it just doesn't end. And this is what people are willing to do. Yeah, where is the point at which you can say, "Well, I got a billion dollars. My wife's got a billion dollars. Uh, we will never want for anything as long as we live ever again." So, yeah, well, at what point can you start making slightly more risky decisions with that sort of thing? Yeah. Uh, so, somebody else that we spoke about when Vic was last on, and somebody else who, much like Colin Kaepernick, was getting told a lot of the time that he should just uh, shut up and play and be grateful for all the old white people who are buying tickets and, you know, funding his prize money, uh, was local legend Nick Kyrgios, who <laughs> we, we simply love to see his action out on the field. Yeah. The field. In the tweets. Mm-hmm. The yep, tennis on field. The field. Look. The field of sports, my yep. friend. <laughs> Sorry. The, the field tennis of play. Pitch. The tennis pitch. <laughs> the tennis stadium. That's the one. Well, now uh, I feel like you're, you're moving the tennis goalposts, Andrew. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway. Uh, so, yeah, when, when Vic was last on, we spoke about Nick Kyrgios and, and some of those parallels with Colin Kaepernick where basically, um, you know, it's, it's cool for people to mouth off until they're like a little too brown. <laughs> and then suddenly it's a bad look. Suddenly, suddenly they're a thug and they're ungrateful and they're making the sport look bad and all that sort of thing. Like it was cool when Pat Rafter did it and it was cool when uh, Leighton Hewitt did it and it was cool when John McEnroe did it and all that sort of thing. But suddenly uh, this guy, this guy needs to get it together. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've just loved to see Nick getting out there, living life uh, and just just generally telling people to fuck off. Um, so we thought we might have a little little roundup of some of the things he's been doing since we last talked. Uh, from this story, uh, Nick Kyrgios raised eyebrows in a Labor Cup press conference on Monday by downing a bottle of Stella Artois in six seconds. A journalist had started asking both Kyrgios and his coach John McEnroe a question when Kyrgios reached for the beer. As he was quizzed on Team World's third successive loss to Team Europe in the tournament, Kyrgios ignored the reporter and downed the entire 330ml <laughs> bottle. 
<laughs> oh, he said upon finishing. <laughs> Leaving McEnroe to answer the reporter. Oh, I love, and I've seen the clip of that one and the guy starts talking to him and he just picks up the bottle and just drinks the entire thing. <laughs> Fucking rules. It's it's so on brand. You just, you gotta love it, man. You love to see it. For real, you uh, do. Isn't there, so Vic, you might know, there was, I remember seeing in the last couple of years, there was an NFL player who absolutely does not get involved with like the after game pageantry, just like Kyrgios. Um, Okay. I can't remember what his name was, but, but same sort of deal where... Um, they would ask him questions and he would just like flat out ignore. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch. I Marshawn Lynch. Of. Yes, yeah, he abs- was uh, an absolute godsend. I mean, he'd say he would actually was he was going to be facing um, fines and repercussions if he didn't go out to do the post game pressers. And he sat there and they'd ask him a question. He says, "I'm just here, so I don't get fined." And that was literally every response to every question for that. Pre- like they knew not to mess with him after that. Um, <laughs> if if you really want to get a better taste of what and 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 what beauty and majesty is within a man like Marshawn Lynch, you need to go look up that video of him being interviewed by 60 Minutes, where he addresses how he deals with adversity by and I quote, "Run through a motherfucker face." That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker's face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. It's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful because he's part trolling, but he's part, but he's much, much more serious. And it's a, it's a ride, man. I love it. See, this is one of the things that we talked about with Kyrgios that was interesting was like the whole kind of seething resentment that a certain sector of Australian sports fandom, tennis fandom specifically, um, seems to have towards him. Specifically because he openly admits that he can play at this level just like because he has a certain level of natural talent. Yeah, and it's sort of like it kind of breaks the fourth wall almost on sports because we like we treat as you know America does like sports at a professional level as this big serious thing, right? That should be respected and there should be like um, dignity in the game and all this kind of horse shit. And this guy literally gets hammered fucking stammers on the court still half drunk and wins at a first grade professional level and everyone's like you can't do that well and people also get 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 extremely mad at him like for not trying hard not trying yeah it's like motherfucker i've got depression i relate to this guy more than anything else (laughs) in the world (laughs) i've been there too yeah that's 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 like you respect that after a while well like um I, I listened to uh, another podcast called um, Heavy Hands, which uh, is by um, Connor and... Uh, Phil McKenzie, yes, Connor, I love those Connor guys. Rebush and Phil McKenzie, who also both write for Bloody Elbow. And one of the things that, um, that they bring up quite frequently on that show is the idea that, um, as Connor puts it, athleticism is cheating. Um, <laughs> where they often talk about, you know, different fighters who... Some, something that people don't seem to talk about enough in coverage of sports and that sort of thing is that some people are just genuinely like naturally more physically or mentally predisposed to a certain type of sport. Um, And there are, there are some things that you can't train into somebody, no matter how hard they work. There are other people who will just always be more capable of easily learning a thing who will just naturally have better reflexes or be stronger without, you know, doing, as much weight training or whatever it is. And like you said, Theo, it kind of it kind of breaks the fourth wall to just say, yeah, well, if you could do it, you would, but you can't. Yeah. Which, which like, you said, which Nick Kyrgios has said. It's such a crushing disappointment to, like, sports dads all across the nation who have just spent the last, you know, three years yelling at their preteen son for, like, fucking up on the field until <laughs> his son's just, like, crying or whatever. And, like, you'll never be great if you keep performing like this. And it just, like, demolishes that entire idea that, hey, maybe your kid uh, actually sucks at sports. And you can't just yell him into being, like, a multi-millionaire. Yeah, like, um, 
just every guy out there who thinks, ah, oh, well, if I had have started training when I was six, I'd be a world champion right now. Yep. It's like, would you? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, remember that that report? It was like that survey uh, that they did where they just asked a bunch of dudes, hey, do you think you could uh, beat Serena Williams in a point <laughs> of tennis? And like three quarters of them went, yeah, I probably could. It's like, I, <laughs> I was just, I cannot even begin to comprehend. I want to the- talk to every single one of those people. Yeah. Or as we mentioned on uh, on the show in the last week or two, the the guy who at the um, there's a display in Questacon, the little science exhibit thing in Canberra, <laughs> uh, where it it shows you like on these these lights that light up sequentially around the wall of an exhibit the speed that uh, gold medalist Australian Olympian Kathy Freeman was running at when she when she won her gold medal, and some dude was like, ah, I can do that. And he, he ran, tried to run in time with this thing and then, like, ran himself straight into a brick wall while he coyote style and broke his back. You know, <laughs> it, which is it's very funny. But this, the weird thing is, I, I look at it like, and I'll, I mean, I, I'll say it right here. I, one time I smoked the hell out. I, and I sat down and I was watching and listening to Freddie Mercury. I just, it's just not fair. It's just not fair. Like, I don't care what kind of vocal coach you've got. I, you just, there's going to be a level where you're never, ever going to be able to get to to where that man could reach and it's just it's no there's no way and i don't know still how people have that idea and also to your point to to give it a combat sports spin as far as the serena williams thing former usc champion uh misha tate uh, she had a couple of guys i think they were from new zealand the uh, the janoskins oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they went out to her gym in vegas and grappled with her and oh god she almost made them shit themselves she choked them all out <laughs> You know, like, it, this is a woman who's been wrestling all throughout high school, and you guys thought you're just going to show up and, hey, it's just for a gag. Let me, let's wrestle with the girl. Yeah, that girl made him eat shit, man. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty wild. Oh, but um, so so just finishing off that press conference with Nick Kyrgios, uh, he pulled out of his final singles match with Dominic Thiem in Geneva due to a collarbone injury, and last week blamed his earlier loss to Roger Federer on an attractive woman in the audience. <laughs> I lost concentration. I saw a really hot chick in the crowd, he explained. Like, I'm being genuinely honest. I'd marry her right now. Right now, Kyrgios said after his loss. <laughs> now, this, this next one, I really, really loved where this ends. So, Nick Kyrgios accused a Queen's Club umpire of rigging the game in an angry reaction to some calls in his first round win against uh, Roberto Carballas Bena. The 24-year-old showcased his on-court talent with a swift victory, but he was up to his usual antics in his interactions with the officials. Kyrgios earned a set point in the first set, but was left furious when the umpire failed to call Bain a second serve as long. Bro, you are taking the fucking piss, mate, was the world's n- world number 39's assessment. He was not finished making his point. He gestured with his arms to show how far out he felt the surf had landed, threatening to refuse to play and picking up a code violation in the process. His verbal barrage then took a curious turn as he remarked to the umpire, It's a joke, man. It's a serious <laughs> joke. Like, your hat looks ridiculous also. It's not even sunny. <laughs> Uh, your, your, hat, your hat looks ridiculous It's not even sunny <laughs> You know, I would never want to be on the losing end of a game of FIFA against that guy He would talk so much shit I, I wouldn't be able to bear it But I'd love to hear it do being done to someone else, certainly oh, You could man. make that very entertaining he's, he's just so good at that Well, uh, later on in the same tournament uh, He was criticizing himself in a press conference for losing when he said so lazy he described himself you played fifa until 3 a.m what did you expect (laughs) (laughs) how do you Uh, hate this guy i mean look i'm sure that off court uh i i think i've seen some problematic shit i'm not sure so i'm gonna leave that uh caveat in but Honestly, if someone says that at a uh, at a press conference, how do you hate him? How do you not just not find that incredibly relatable, the thought that you're just going to fuck up a good thing that you've got that's been, like, basically handed to you because you can't stop getting hammered and playing FIFA? <laughs> but, it, yeah, like, he just... I guess that's what's fascinating to me is that he just he just doesn't seem to care about, like, just trading wins and losses, you know? Like, he wins some, he loses some, like, he loses some. Sometimes it's because just seemingly halfway through a match, he gets frustrated or bored and just goes, fuck this. 
and like some matches he he goes really well and just crushes other people at an elite level um but it seems to just be be pretty down to how he feels at the time um which is the most millennial type of (laughs) of (laughs) elite sports that i can imagine I don't know, man. If you were like consistently being singled out for decor- lack of decorum and being someone who brings a bad name to the sport when other people have done probably worse things than you at, at some point, you'd probably have a bit of an edge to you as well. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, that's not to excuse some of the things that some of the more problematic things that he's done, like you know, throwing things at uh, at the wall and all that. You might you might hurt someone with that kind of deal, you know. But yeah, yeah, this is just kind of who he is, man. You're not going to change him. Oh man. Uh, here's another one for you. Nick Kyrgios has taken his relaxed approach to preparation to all new heights, hitting a well-known Wimbledon pub just hours before he was due to take on Rafael Nadal. It's going to take the edge off, man. You know. Oh, Kyrgios was spotted at the Dog and Fox on the third night of the championship, staying out past 11 p.m. and enjoying drinks with friends. Uh, Kyrgios is no stranger to unique pre-match behavior. Uh as he demonstrated earlier at Acapulco this year. Speaking on the No Challenges Remaining podcast in May, Curios revealed that he began the tournament by, quote, getting hammered and was out every night. Uh, my average sleep hours was seven or eight, but I was going to bed at 4.30 a.m. on average, he said. <laughs> I was playing and everyone was going out. If I had a GoPro, I could have made a movie. I was packing my bag and I would take my going out clothes. It was insane. I was jet skiing and partying and I won a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got hammered at the players party and somehow played unbelievable that week the stars aligned i was having a lot of fun and people hate that they hate to hear <laughs> that someone yeah. talented is having a lot of fun they want them to have all of the weird mental illnesses that their parents gave them by torturing them to practice 18 hours a day for their entire childhood they want someone who is broken and depressed and mm-hmm. incredibly competent they don't want someone who's like yeah man i don't fucking know I just turned up, and then I wanted it. It was pretty sick. I had a lot of beers. It was great. No one likes that, apparently. What the fuck is what? wrong with people? I know. You, I, how do you watch Leighton Hewitt on TV and not think, oh, this man's a psychopath? Yes. Yeah, this man is absolutely, like you said, just broken inside. But, I mean, there are examples of, like, the, the inverse, like, you know, David Boone drinking a slab on a plane <laughs> <laughs> going, to, going to, a te- to a test match, right? I guess the difference maybe is that David Boone is white and it's easier to, uh, uh, you know, feel kind of a, um, a similarity with, with someone uh, like that. I don't know. I don't know. Well, because that's good old-fashioned Australian larrikinism. That's larrikin. yeah, Disregard exactly. for authority. But when it's a, a brownish person, uh, they're actually disrespecting our authority. Hmm. Hey, um, here's here's a little audio clip from the end of that conference uh, where he was admitting to uh, being out of the pub and, and getting drunk the night before playing against Rafael Nadal. Uh, he gets asked a question by reporter Harry Shookman. Do you regret going to the pub last night? Do you think you'd have played a bit better if you hadn't? No. What's you look way to too excited to ask that question. You must have a really boring life. <laughs> you, you looked way too excited to ask that question. You must oh have a very boy. boring life. Mm, hey, beautiful. where is the lie? Show me the lie, you know? Yeah, do I can't right. find it. I'm looking. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my binoculars out. I'm scanning the horizon. Uh, got, no a giant, got a giant magnifying glass in my uh, <laughs> my, my Sherlock Holmes uh, sk- uh, skin cap. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, um, he's he's an enjoyable dude to watch, in my opinion, in, in the ways that, you know, some people will say, hey, this guy's uh, uncool, he's dipshit or whatever. Um, somebody else who's uh, making waves in mixed martial arts these days in the UFC is somebody who does seem like a real uh, genuine dipshit and piece of shit, which is, I guess, current uh, interim title holder Colby Covington, who is a uh, big-time MAGA dipshit. Uh, He wears his hat everywhere. He talks about how much he loves Donald Trump. uh, And he's constantly saying cool things uh, to the media like... The haters are saying, I'm the underdog. You know who else was the underdog? The ruler of our nation, Donald Trump. 
And just like Trump, I'm going to grab these pussies and put them in their place. Mm-hmm. Uh, very cool stuff. He also tweets things like, My haters are all virgins who have no life, goals, or future. They debate Star Wars and World of Warcraft while I'm out winning. That was well, pretty I mean, good. he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I guess, like, his whole, his whole thing is essentially, like, just being a, being a, a pro-wrestling bad guy. Um, it, it all, it all comes across as like extremely rehearsed and contrived and fake, um, which it, it, it translates well into like clickbait kind of articles on MMA sites where every time he says something stupid about another fighter or, you know, management in, in the UFC or a politician or whatever, you know, be, you can make an article out of that. But it doesn't seem to translate very well into actual success for him in the sense of, like, people buying a lot of tickets to events that he's headlining. Um, as far as I'm aware, the pay-per-views that he's been fighting on top of don't actually sell very well, uh, despite there being so much talk about, you know, everything that he, that he says and does. And that all kind of strikes me as a bit of a parallel to, like, Trumpism in general. Uh, there's lots of parallels like making uh, making tons of noise constantly about like how epically you are winning while not actually seemingly ever like winning opinion polls or <laughs> the popular vote or like a lot of the legal battles that you got going on or anything like that. Uh, constantly doing and saying lots of terrible shit uh, and talking the whole time about unrepent how like unrepentant you are while also complaining about being ostracized by your training partners um, and or grandchildren. Uh, <clears throat> he definitely makes me think of, of that in that sense where, like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Vic, but it seems like in the world of uh, mixed martial arts and, and professional combat sports that generally there's, there's kind of uh, a real camaraderie in with people who train together and who have training camps at the same gyms and all that sort of stuff and that usually people don't talk shit about each other uh they kind of keep it all in house and everything whereas colby covington seems to both talk a lot of shit about the people that he trains with and there are other people from his own gym who say yeah that guy's actually kind of a huge fuckwit uh, which <laughs> seems unusual in the sport yeah it is. It is one of his own teammates, uh, former strawweight champion uh, Joanna Janjecek. She is. They I mean they train at the same facility. They're on the same team. They're you know she's openly rooting for him to lose his next fight. You know, it's just, he just yeah, said it not, straight up. Not normal. Not normal no. in the sport for people no. to come out and say that stuff so openly. Um, so he, I'm sorry. No, he, he'd threatened to like possibly train at another facility because of friction, but now he's back. Um, but it seems that maybe it was, there is something to it that there are teammates of his because there's a bunch of Brazilians. It's a gigantic, it, with people, if you're not familiar with mixed martial arts, you know, you don't, you don't, you have fighters that can set up their own particular training camp in preparation for a bout, surrounding yourself with training partners that you're paying out of your own pocket. Unfortunately, given the origins of the sport and the fact there's not as much money in mixed martial arts, what a lot of folks do is they'll form a super team. You get some of the best fighters in the world to train and spar and, and make each other better. And then they go out and succeed. Uh, that's really not very good for a guy who's out here talking about Brazilians being filthy animals and uh, saying things that are not entirely very edgy. But you know, it, it's just super annoying at this point. You know, you, you, a lot of people hated Floyd Mayweather, but they would at least buy a pay per view and put money in his pocket with the hopes of watching him get beat up, which would never happen. But in this case, everyone just seems to just want him to go away. I don't really see that much of. Um, as you mentioned, right, there's there's no indication that he's financially some sort of boon to the UFC, but they still keep putting him out there front and center. Yeah, it's very strange. It's kind of the point of uh, at which stage does this actually translate for into money for somebody, you know? Yeah. There, uh, there really there hasn't been any sort of a payoff and it's not just it's it's that and the misogyny you know he's out here pretending that he's having sex with all these porn stars and all this other stuff and and even they've even called him out you know kelsey monroe's like i never had sex with that dude i don't know what you're talking about um there's a great thing that showed up on twitter i think it was yesterday where um Brendan Schaub, another former fighter, he interviews fighters now, and he says he paid these girls. Colby shows up with these two women that 
very clearly were either strippers or girls that he paid for their companionship to be on camera and act like, you know, he's some kind of man's man or whatever. And right before the camera starts rolling, he goes, hey, uh, why don't we do this for the video so it looks better? What, could you just, like, rub my shoulders? And she looks at him and says... I'm not rubbing your fucking shoulders. <laughs> you want to present yourself as a super macho dude, this ladies' man, and it's like when the cameras aren't rolling, this is how you're being treated. It ain't a good look, my G. Oh, no, no, no. He's, yeah, it's something kind of strangely sad about the whole thing. But um, what's, And what's weird about it, of course, is that like he's, he's undisputably like a, a very good good fighter who is beating extremely high level people and he's not losing fights or anything it's the sort of thing that you would hope could normally manage to garner support for somebody um but yeah his like horrible attempts at getting publicity for himself uh really don't go very well um yeah. he he did manage to get himself a, a photo up with donald trump in the white house <laughs> when he won his his interim championship which as we know extends to standing next to donald trump uh, while you both do weird shit-eating grins and give a thumbs up um, so again, if that's, if that's kind of the extent of the benefit that you get from being on, on the winning team, uh, it's kind of like, cool, you got a, you got a photo, enjoy, enjoy your riches. <laughs> but see, even, even in that, like, it's one thing for it not to generate buy rates or ticket sales, but it didn't even get him any sort of clout. Like, usually something like that happens, it'll get covered in some other outlet, like, you know, Fox News will probably have him on, and he'll be the darling of conservative media circuits, he'll do the sort of, uh, he'll do the car wash and be on this site and for this group and show up at a convention. That hasn't even happened for him. It's weird because he is, in fact, on an elite level, but what what hinders him, not only is his dialogue cringe, not only has he shown time and time again that he's not good at thinking on his feet when challenged with the uh, for, for his statements and the things that he says, it, it, he's, he's, not, he's not that much fun for a lot of people. You know, his style is very grindy. He's primarily a wrestler first and foremost. And a lot of people find that very, very boring. And that's really where his... Uh, uh, it all begins and ends with what you see in the cage for a lot of people. And, and you can talk all the shit in the world. If you don't have any real way of backing it up in a way that is satisfactory to the customer, you're going to be out in the wilderness. And that's kind of where he is in this weird way, even though he's got that interim title, which he had been stripped of previously for, I, I guess, uh, not agreeing to fight at some particular point that the UFC had wanted, which is another set of labor relation problems for another day that we can talk about. Mm -hmm. That, uh, yeah, mysteriously, I guess he has it on again so that they can have some kind of prestige for selling the fight. But even the UFC is not thinking very highly of him because they're very keen on taking things away from him and, and uh, dicking him over whenever they feel like it or whenever he doesn't agree to do things. So even within the structure of the UFC, he doesn't have that kind of clout. So it sort of makes you wonder what the point of it all is, you know, yeah, much like uh, much like being a subscriber to QAnon conspiracy theories or hardcore pro Trumpism. It seems like generally what you get is you wind up being uh, ostracized from all your friends and family and professional relationships. Uh, and then you get to complain to strangers on the Internet about that. <laughs> yeah, you, you basically end up alone at Thanksgiving eating a Marmite sandwich and complaining about the world. I mean, I, I don't, I just, there is no real, but you feel, at least you feel a little better that your team is on top because ultimately that's what all this stuff boils down to. You know, that's the only other way that you can support something, regimes as heinous as this. It's because their team is on top and they're winning, even though there's no tangible success. Um, I'm, I'm sure you guys might have heard of this already. There was a, there was a, a report done on, um, it was a company, I believe in Louisiana, that they did some kind of, I believe it was reinforcement for boats or something like that. And under the tariffs with China, some convoluted manner, they're losing money. And one of the guys who was a Trump supporter basically had to fold his business. And he still supports Trump. You know, he still feels that they're winning and that the country's doing better, even though by no metrics whatsoever that's there's any back, anything to back that up. But he's still with the guy, and that is really what you're dealing with at the end of the day. That is what you're facing. It's just people that want to feel like they're winning because they don't understand that there are other forces at play that are allowing them to feel less empowered. And it has nothing to do with who's in the White House in terms of a day-to-day -day thing. It's got more to do with the fact that your future's already been bought and sold and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, and as our friends over at Chapo Trap House so frequently say, uh, Matt Chrisman specifically says, there is no actual ideology behind Trumpism for a lot of people. It is just personal grievance. It's just... Yeah. I'm, I'm happy that something I'm doing is making the people I don't like upset. 
Yeah, it's 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 another matter. It's basically a um, a framework that is an encapsulation of like you've probably seen these vehicles that people modify to kick out like four times as much smog. Have oh, you yeah. seen those? Roll, oh, yeah. Rolling coal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Now, global warming is liberal bullshit. You know, like, fuck you, Greta Thunberg. I'm putting more smoke out there. And like, oh, okay. All right. I mean, that's imagine that, but with a bit of political oomph behind it. And that's what you're really dealing with there. Well, uh, we can all look forward to next year when Joe Biden has been nominated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, his brain uh, falls out of his skull uh-huh. during the presidential campaign and Donald Trump wins yeah. again and we can have a whole new couple of years of it at least this time his bottom teeth will fall out as opposed to the top row oh my god <laughs> yeah. it's just such a jarring man to look at the hair plugs the teeth the, the bloody eyeballs I'm really I excited love- for the administration of President Biden where every day starts with him running around the halls of the White House like the guy from the start of Jumanji being like what year is it <laughs> <laughs> My goodness. Well, I think that is about all we have time for this week. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us, Vic. Where can people find you on Twitter and podcasts and websites and all that kind of thing? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Vic M. Rodriguez. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom, I promise you. I do occasionally post funny things that are not always connected to combat sports and people playing punchy face, but there is a bit of that, a fair bit. Uh, Instagram is Victor Sinister Rodriguez if you want to look at a lot of food, because that's really where I'm, all I'm posting right now. Uh, as I mentioned, or as uh, Andrew had asked previously at the top of the podcast, uh, we are at the Level Change Podcast. Uh, also, I believe it's Level Change Pod on Twitter. And all of our episodes drop on Saturday, Australia time. So you'll be able to get it bright and early in the morning as it drops at 3 o'clock here in the U.S. And uh, it's part of the Bloody Elbow uh, Collective. We have basically like a different podcast for every day of the week. But ours is Friday, and we do a lot of great stuff and analysis there. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, man. We're just uh, churning out a lot of stuff and following this breakneck pace uh, having sport that that just does not seem to end with all manner of amazement and disappointment. It is the most <laughs> it is the most glorious and yet at the same time most clown shoe sport ever in existence. And you love to see it. You goddamn right. Uh, and as always you can get an extra episode of our show every week if you're into that kind of thing by going over to patreon.com forward slash Punta Vista Uh, if you want to call and leave us a message you can call the hotline on 1-800-317-515 American listeners can call 732-876-3446 leave us a message for the show Mm. Uh, and if you want to send something into us shoot us an email at mailbag at buntavista.com. I thought the American number was 1-800-THEO-AGG. Is that true, Theo? I, uh, is that enough numbers? That it is. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> literally <laughs> is. All right, that is look. the seven digits that are required. You made it. I am I'm logging on. I'm reserving that number so that I believe <laughs> this is called a catch and kill. <laughs> oh boy and every single one of your voicemails is going directly into the void where it belongs oh. there we go alright well thanks again for joining us Vic hey no problem man my pleasure and we will see everybody next week thanks everybody bye bye thanks guys bye. thanks Vic bye.